Paranormal Radio, exploring the boundaries of reality. Venturing Beyond with Paranormal Podcast. Welcome to the Paranormal Podcast. I will be your host, Winston Hiller. You can call me Winston for short. And um, I have my guest here, who I think should let him let him introduce himself. So please go ahead. Yes, uh, my name is Damien Dumar. Mm -hmm. I am the publisher of The Last Harvest, which is a book that was written by the author Lucian Mars. Yes, it's a great book, by the way. I've uh, I've read some of it. I haven't finished it yet. It's quite a long book, but uh, so far of uh, what I've read, it's very interesting. It's very engaging, and most importantly, it's very, uh, how should we say, provocative. I think uh, would be a fair word to use there. Well, I'm very glad that you've read at least a good portion of it because quite a few podcasts that I do, the the uh, interviewer has not read any of the book. <laughs> well, <laughs> I find that to be strange. I mean, it's it's within the job. You got to do research about. Uh, it, at least, if you're gonna solely focus on talking about the book, you should indeed read the book. I, I tend to be in agreement. Um... Apparently not everyone feels that way, which is fine by <laughs> me, but the conversation is always much more intriguing when the host has read at least a good portion of the book as well. Yeah, I understand. Uh, it's, uh, it's, well, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm going to play the devil's advocate here, maybe, uh, but if they talk mainly about the, uh, maybe the author, but even then, if you talk about the author, you have to talk about his work. And when you do that, you have to read the book. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't have time to read all of it just because the this interview that we're doing now it was brought to me in a short period of time and I had to do a lot of research in a short period of time and so I didn't get to read most of it but uh like I said it's very intriguing it's very interesting and I, and I can't wait to uh recommend it to people and uh well that's why kind of why we're having you here i i sure i know that you will do a good job at presenting the book and uh you know putting it out there for the people to understand what what is it about well yeah thank you very much for uh mm -hmm. for your vote of confidence i i will <laughs> I, I will indeed do a very good job to unpack what is an incredible amount of information it is um in in a in a short period of time it's certainly nothing to apologize for if you haven't finished the book because uh not only is it a lot of information, it's information that's never been heard anywhere else before. Mm -hmm. And it is information which for many people will be very controversial. So I, I think it's we're doing fine. I understand originally this interview was uh, scheduled for three. So instead of two hours for this first time, we're down to about an hour. Yes. Um, but I, I think we can still cover quite a lot of material in an hour and mm. naturally feel free to interrupt me at any time with any questions you have about what you have read or if you wish to go into a certain direction. Yeah, I'm yes. very, I'm very yes. open to it. Yeah, I've, I've listened to uh, some of the interviews that you've done before and uh, I just find what you say very fascinating that sometimes I wish the host would say, well, you said this thing in this in a sentence could you expand more on that so that's probably what sure. i'll be doing mostly because i like much like the book 
there is so much every sentence basically has a lot of uh a lot unfolding just within the sentence itself and you find yourself yes. sort of reading a line or two uh once or twice because there is so much said there that you need to absorb it first be before you go into the next line and the next line and so on yes lucian is a very deep writer there's a lot of wisdom in there and mm -hmm. a, a lot of a lot of material that sort of reveals itself as you're reading sentence by sentence yes it's uh, it's pretty much how i would uh, summarize the writing style. I'm an author myself, and I sort of see some of uh, like some aspects that other readers wouldn't see because of just my experience as a writer. And I've noticed that he has a very, uh, a very good style at putting a lot of information, condensing it in a way that's still understandable, but not too, not too wordy and not too long. And I, I appreciate that uh, from one writer to another. And uh, I just wanted to ask you. How was working with with the author, and uh, how much how involved were you in the project itself? Well, that's a good question. I most of my work consisted of editing the mm -hmm. text and sourcing the artist who did the cover, which is very eye catching cover. Everyone comments on how how um, how eye grabbing. Actually, yes, eye grabbing mm -hmm. is the word I was looking yeah. for. And actually, we hired a professor of fine arts to design oh. that cover, and it it her professorship definitely shines through in this case. You can tell, and, yes. And um, I worked extensively on the layout of the book because the idea is, especially if you are bringing a book to market, which is going to bring forth a lot of this controversial information that no one has ever heard before. Mm -hmm. You don't want any spelling errors in the book. You want the layout to be super professional. You want someone to pick up the physical book and say, wow, this is a, a really well-made professional book. This isn't slapped together in some program in order to quickly get to a number one spot on Amazon. Using yes, some kind yes. Of especially trick. in our time. They're just going <laughs> to say, well, it's chat GPT. Don't, don't pay attention to it. Right, right. Chat, chat GPT. And then we use triple spacing to make a 40 page book into a 300 page book. Now, <laughs> exactly. this is this book is legitimately long, but not too long, not to the point that someone would lose interest, especially with the mm -hmm. topic being as interesting as it is. I can't see how anyone would have an issue with losing interest unless they're just completely closed off to the ideas presented in the book. But exactly, I, yeah. I, you, I know that you've only gotten a certain uh, distance into the book. And one of the important things to point out is that the first half or so of this book covers a lot of topics that would be in the realm of, mm, let's say, people could easily dismiss it as speculative because mm -hmm. we're talking about alien civilizations and that sort of thing. But the last half of the book is not speculative material at all. It is the words of the elite Mm -hmm. And it is the words of the government, the words of our military, all yes. describing in detail how they plan to kill you all. So, mm -hmm. of course, for those who are listening to this and have not heard of this book or read it before, on the cover, we have a picture of the Georgia Guidestones, which are very famous because recently someone tried to blow them up. And so the question comes up, well, why would someone want to blow up a federally protected monument? And it's because engraved in stone on this monument is this plan by the elite to reduce the population of the planet by 90%. Percent. Yeah, and I've, I've so, seen documentaries about that. It's very intriguing. Yeah, and, and one of the important 
uh, parts of this book is that the, the words in the book are not necessarily Lucy and Mars in the latter half of it, the, the words are the words of the elite themselves. So no one can read the last half of the book and say this is speculative unless they truly wish to put their heads into the sand. Because someone who's clever mm -hmm. can always say, well, the elite are so wealthy and powerful that perhaps they're, they're doing this as a big joke to see if people will notice. But that is really stretching things. Yeah, and it's not really... It doesn't really make sense as far as intentions go. Why would you right. just make a joke out of it? That would be that's that's how sort of they explain uh, rich people doing bad things in in movies, like and shows and TV shows and stuff like that. But when it comes to reality, people do bad things because they have something to gain. They have some sort of intention that would entail their personal benefit. It's not about just having a laugh with your you know other rich buddies correct yes and and another idea that the book keeps um driving to the forefront mm -hmm. is that this depopulation attempt and when i say depopulation i'm saying it in quotes because the reality of it is that it's genocide and right. so some people would say well when will this plan commence and what you see over and over uh, in the words of the elite, is that the year 2025 is the year when their plan will commence. Of course, something like a 90% population reduction via genocide is not something that can occur overnight. But 2025 is the year in which they begin to really roll out this program. And when you start to see things like the war between Ukraine and Russia and how the United right. States, States keeps instigating it, even in in light of the fact that Putin has threatened to use nuclear weapons without hesitation, yes. should NATO or the U.S. get more involved, now they're, they're planning on, on sending the Ukrainians F-16s and teaching them how to fly it. So we can see this idea of poking the bear over in Russia. And at the same time, you can see we're poking the panda over in China because the United States now is sending all of their military industrial complex delegations over to Taiwan to mm -hmm. sell them all sorts of weaponry as if a country that's the size of uh, one of the smallest states in states America, in America yes, exactly. is going to be capable of attacking a country as large as China. And then they, they add insult to injury by sailing U.S. warships through Chinese waters. And you can kind of see this rinse and repeat, whereas World War II was a war fought on two fronts. Now we see... World War Three, they're yeah. sort of trying the same thing again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, there is a lot of actions that don't make sense when you see them, especially if, with the involvement of the U.S. and all of these sort of actions that seem to just be nothing more than poking a bear and then yes. seeing what happens. And when you <laughs> talk about what are their intentions with this, I mean, what could war bring? Or what could nu nuclear uh, weaponry bring? Nothing but death. Nothing but depopulation. In quotes, as you've said. I mean, it's it is genocide, and it, if if it happens, it's going to be genocide. P innocent people are going to be killed for nothing more than the the the, the purposes of someone else's gain, uh, whatever that might be. And I wanted to ask you, uh, what do what exactly do they get out of this? 
That, that's good that you asked that because it's one of the, the biggest questions that mm -hmm. people will come to me with is they say, well, this campaign of genocide, what would be the purpose of reducing the population by 90%? And before yeah. I, I, I answer that, I would like to throw in another uh, concept, which is that the, the plan of depopulation is a plan which is carried out over multiple vectors. So mm -hmm. one of them would be this idea of World War III and nuclear conflict. But at the same time, you have this idea of famine as a vector. We have also uh, the idea of viral warfare as a vector. So these concepts are explored in great detail in The Last Harvest, where mm -hmm. we, we talk about, for example, there was a US Air Force symposium held in August of 1996, all about using technology to control the weather and to manipulate the weather for the purpose of creating droughts to literally cause enemy forces or nations to die of thirst, entire nations. So what's interesting is when did the U.S. Air Force say that this technology would be ready? Well, 2025. As a matter of fact, the title of the report was Weather as a Force Multiplier, owning the weather in 2025. Mm -hmm. now, on the topic of viral warfare, one thing that uh, we have in the book, The Last Harvest, is we devote about 12 pages to listing all the scientists who had relationships to AIDS and Ebola research, as well as bioweapons R&D, who have all died under the most mysterious or unnatural of circumstances. Mm -hmm. yeah. We're talking 12 pages. Many people feel that this is not a coincidence. So why are so many of our biomedical specialists suddenly dying of mysterious causes? Yeah. Well, I, I feel one way to reframe these events is to realize that all the biomedical medical specialists who had the talent and promise to potentially cure Ebola are all dead. And this mm -hmm. may be significant because Ebola is looked at as a superior killer to the myriad strains of AIDS and the very slow moving prion infections such as CJD and BSE that everyone in America could potentially be infected with. But mm -hmm. now that I've gotten that out of the way, let me answer the big question of the day, which is, yes. why would the elite want to exterminate 90% of the population? It seems pretty crazy. Well, mm -hmm. first of all, we have to understand that behind the elite, behind the Freemasons, behind the Illuminati, behind the New World Order is actually an extraterrestrial influence. And that extraterrestrial influence is known as the Nebu Gray Empire. And the book, The Last Harvest, goes into great detail about the uh, exopolitical conflicts between extraterrestrial groups and the history of this galaxy that have led up to the situation that we are going to call, unquote, The Last Harvest. Mm -hmm. So the Nebu Gray at this point are in control of this planet. And the idea is they would want to take the planet for themselves. And let me just add in quickly that they are not the only alien group who wants to take this planet for themselves. So the idea is, well, how do you do that? One thing we real have to realize is that in the current state of development on this planet, most of the population is no longer necessary. We've already gone through the industrial revolution. Mm -hmm. They're not needed. Technology is getting to a point where most people don't have a use anymore. So exactly. that's one, one good reason to get rid of them, but that's not the main reason. The main reason is that around 10 to 15% of the population of the world has what's known as RH negative blood. So yeah. RH negative blood as a factor is something which most scientists have concluded is alien to this world, meaning that people who have RH negative blood 
have DNA that is extraterrestrial in origin. So why is that important? Well, one thing that the Nebu Gray Empire is very famous for is hybridizing individuals, meaning mixing their DNA with the DNA of other species. And incidentally, those who have RH negative blood are very prized for the purposes of hybridization. So the plan that the Nebu Gray have is to kill off everyone who isn't RH negative and then use those RH negative people to hybridize them in order to graft their genetics onto this planet because not every alien group in their natural state would function or thrive, I should say, yeah. on this planet the way it is. So there are two options to deal with that. One is to alter the planet to suit their biology. And the other is to hybridize themselves, to graft themselves onto the planet so the yeah. planet doesn't reject them. Mm -hmm. So this is basically, in short, the plan and the, the root, the cause of the plan, who's behind the plan. So the elite, they go about carrying out these agendas, not always fully understanding, mm -hmm. although some of them do, who's behind them and what the plan is and what the elite don't realize, but they now know because they are reading this book as well, guaranteed. Mm -hmm. Many of them, I'm sure. Oh, of course. The Nebu Gray Empire plans to wipe them all out as soon as they've done all the dirty work. I was going not, to ask. <laughs> yeah, there are not that many Nebu Gray on this planet, relatively. Mm -hmm. So they let the humans, who are the elite, do the work of getting rid of most of the population. Then they step in and get rid of the elite and they clean up whatever is left. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when you talk about the Nebu Gray, uh, why our planet? Why? Uh, what? First, what, what happened to theirs? Is it are they running away from something or are they just expanding their uh, their reach or why do they come to us? It's, that's a good question. I think one thing that we first have to realize is that there is this idea in the New Age community that most of the universe is a paradise filled with advanced civilizations that live in peace and harmony. Mm -hmm. They definitely did get the advanced civilization part correct. Many civilizations out there have technology that is literally over 100 million years more advanced than ours, which mm -hmm. is another reason why people have trouble understanding the physics behind, let's say, alien abductions and things of that nature. Because, the tic-tac incident and so on. Right, because we're just too primitive to understand. Mm -hmm. But what, what's, going out there, what's going on out there in the universe at large is that most of the universe is in some state of war or conflict. And what is the source of this war and conflict? It is an ever-growing population or populations of various extraterrestrial groups combined with ever-limited supply of resources. So it becomes a struggle, just like you would see on the animal kingdom here, where the savanna dries up and there's not enough water and all the animals fight for the watering hole. Well, mm -hmm. the principle is no different through a lot of our universe. So... Other alien civilizations are always looking for planets that they can co-opt and, and use for their own purposes. But in, right. the case of, in the case of the Nebu Gray, your question was, how did they end up on this planet? Where did yeah. they come from? Because they are, in fact, a large empire with many planets. and, and They have great Earth. in their name. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> exactly. So what the book does is the book goes, in, like I said, into the, the history of of the uh, various extraterrestrial groups and their conflicts related to this planet 
that mm-hmm. led up to what is going on today. So we have to go over the fact that this planet was seeded with respect to what we would call human life in quotes yeah. by a joint effort between two extraterrestrial civilizations. One is the reptilian based Siakar empire and the other was the uh, Sarayan wolf and Anunnaki empire, which normally were at each other's throats, but for a while were forced together to protect themselves mm-hmm. from a third alien group, which was threatening to wipe them both out. So we had, two key players on this planet at one time. We mm-hmm. hear about them in, in legend, and they would be Enki and Enlil. And Enki goes under other, another name, and his name is Lucifer. And right. Enlil, Enlil is simply Enlil. And Lucifer is, a, or was, I should say, an alpha draconian reptilian scientist. And Enlil was a, was a wolf and Anunnaki warlord. And both of them worked on this quote unquote, problem of creating slaves to do labor. So eventually this is where human beings as we know them today came from. But before they went around genetically re-engineering human beings by combining the uh, humanoid ape-like creatures on this planet with various reptilian species, they were creating other forms of life to be used as slave labor in mines and things like this. And one of their creations were beings which ultimately rebelled and went on to become the Nebu Gray Empire. Right. So the the thing to point out here is that there are there were a group of reptilians who were on this planet at the time who decided to rebel against the reptilian Siakar Empire, which is where they had emanated from. And they joined up with the Nebu Gray who were on this planet and they broke away and decided they would try to take the planet for themselves along with all the profits that resulted from various activities that were going on on this planet at the time. Right. So this situation created another situation over time where you basically had reptilian traders who were on this planet along with a group of Nebu Gray who mm-hmm. lived inside the hollow earth who could never leave this planet because if they tried to leave, other alien groups would intercept them and kill them or capture them. And this is not what they wanted. Yeah. So there's there's sort of is, yeah, this is basically their last stand. They really have nowhere to go. And this is what their situation is. And they have been behind the Illuminati and the Freemasons mm-hmm. and all the power, political power on this planet since the, the beginning of their rebellion. So, What's interesting about this is a lot of people are familiar with the work of David Icke and this concept of shape-shifting reptilians is something which is in the popular consciousness for a long time now. You'll see it referenced in episodes of The Simpsons and uh, American Dad. American Dad, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's like, and, and so David Icke, he got it right in the sense that yeah, they are reptilians that shapeshift. A good mm-hmm. example of them would be Donald Rumsfeld, Condoleezza Rice, but what he got wrong is that not all reptilians are the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and even those particular reptilians I mentioned are drone class reptilians. They're not warrior class or alpha draconian or royals or anything of that nature. They're actually relatively low level on the, uh, how should I say, the, the hierarchy. The hierarchy of the, the, the pyramid. Right. 
Yeah, because we have to understand, like, in, uh, and let's say if we go to India in human civilization, we have a caste system, but that caste system is based on on ultimately nothing, because what is the genetic difference between, let's say, a untouchable and a Brahmin? Nothing. They're, mm -hmm. they're the same genetically. But if you go went into the reptilian Siakar empire, these various castes of reptilians are very biologically different. So you can't just take on a caste by name, someone mm -hmm. can look at you and genetically see that you are an alpha draconian royal or you are a warrior class. And and there's no it's, it's not a, a game of the mind like it is on this planet. Mm -hmm. So what happens is is um, what David Icke gets wrong is is this is he puts forth this idea that not only reptilians are all the same, but that all of the problems that humanity faces as a result of reptilians yeah. and it's it's not it's it's there there are problems are the result of other alien groups the most notable in this case would be the nebu gray empire who mm -hmm. they they for the most part hate reptilians because they blame them for genetically engineering them in such a way that they feel they are sort of hemmed in by their genetic limitations yeah yeah uh, it's a it's like why why make me uh why make me like this if if you yes. could have done but i wanted to uh expand on a certain point well not sure. expand but just as a note you mentioned uh hybridization mm -hmm. and it kind of like sounded in my head like uh the in the childhood's end by uh arthur clark uh, maybe if uh, you remember the book uh yes uh, could you I draw some similarities, but I'm more interested uh, in uh, how familiar do they sound to you, like when you put them next to each other. I, I it's been so many years since mm -hmm. I've looked at the work of Arthur C. Clarke that I do not remember much about that particular story, so I couldn't give you an honest comparison. That's okay. That's all right. Yeah. So let's uh, let's bring it back a little bit because we're actually streaming this uh, on a service at the moment uh, at Paranormal Radio and. Uh, presence factor radio and uh, one of the listeners is from russia and is asking a question yes and he's asking more specifically about the situation related to ukraine since it is uh related to uh him and his community and what what he wants to know is uh what can we expect from this war uh what can we expect it to be from now on and uh maybe by the end of this year, if, if you have any ideas on well, what we could see or what we could expect. Well, I, I, I this is going to sound like a, a, an answer where I'm making fun, but I'm not. So okay. my, my, my short answer would be what you can expect from war is the same thing you'd expect from any other war, mm -hmm. which, is, which is death and horror. And we see this in the Ukraine. And what's somewhat disturbing about the war in the Ukraine and certainly not a feather in humanity's cap is this idea of filming atrocities on both sides mm -hmm. and then uploading them to social media. So in the right. past, it would be that those who committed war crimes, for example, would perhaps be a little bit ashamed to share with the world what they did. Yeah. But it seems now in the age of social media, no one is ashamed of this anymore. And I have seen videos popping up on, on the internet from both sides mm -hmm. where the, people are engaging in absolutely despicable behavior, proud of it proud and of upload it. and uploading it. Yeah. And yeah. this is, this is important to bring out because the, the last harvest is a very dark book. It doesn't have a happy ending. 
Mm-hmm. Humanity, humanity will no longer be here by 2050, the latest. As a matter of fact, there probably won't even be a planet here anymore by 2050. And one of the reasons this book was written was because it was written at the, the request of the Divine Father. I know a lot of people may be atheists and, and not believe in his existence, mm-hmm. and that is their misfortune. That's but, their prerogative. <laughs> right. They have free will to <laughs> do as they please. And this idea of free will is, is very important because while humans can be very easily influenced, mm. as we explain in the book in great detail, exactly why humans and how humans can be so easily influenced by outside forces who would desire war. Yeah. Human beings still have the free will to decide to go to war or not. You don't have to go to war. Mm-hmm. And human beings over and over love to go to war. We, happily, yeah. yeah, they we, happily line up. And exactly, they not only yeah. they kill, they rape, they commit war crimes. And like I pointed out earlier, they're proud of it. So mm-hmm. one of the aspects of free will that is inseparable from free will is this idea of consequences. So the Bible is very clear when the father says, thou shalt not kill. So when you go to war like this, you are setting up consequences for yourself, which you will not appreciate mm-hmm. when those consequences come home to roost. So I bring this up because some people will say, well, th- this book is, is so dark and it has no positive end. Yeah. Well, human beings, despite their limitations, despite the fact they can be influenced so easily, have had many years to use what free will they do have. Mm-hmm. to do something about what's going on or what was going on on this planet. A lot of this stuff, people always knew something was wrong, but they sit around and they not only do nothing, they actively continue to sign up and go to war. So now we're at a point where it's too late. If this book had been written 50 or hundred years ago, perhaps mm-hmm. it could have had a more could positive more ending posi- Yeah, because there could have been some plan of action that, Perhaps if humanity were to radically change in this way, then mm-hmm. things could have gone in a different direction. But we're long past that point. We're at a point oh, where no return. Yeah, a point of no return. And this mm-hmm. uh the development of artificial intelligence, which we go into in the book in great detail, is another vector which is so many levels above the standard vectors of genocide right. that is actually a vector of Armageddon itself. So while people may worry, oh, well, I'm Russian, I'm Ukrainian, what's the future of the war? Mm -hmm. Um, You really shouldn't worry about it because you have no future. No matter where you are on this planet, by 2050, you will all be gone and the planet will probably be another asteroid belt. Mm -hmm. So, But in the short run, if you really want an answer, what will the war in the Ukraine bring? More death more horror, like every other war, and it'll all be for nothing except the agenda of your quote-unquote masters, who you do nothing about. Right. So it's like if you you told me a nuclear bomb is going to explode next to us, and I say, well, my stomach hurts, what can I do? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Exactly. That's what it is. And speaking of nuclear bombs, the New York City government uh, a few months ago launched a public service campaign uh, in the subways and on the television mm-hmm. telling people what to do in the case of a nuclear attack. And the <laughs> advice is naturally is utterly ridiculous. Yeah, but of course. The, the idea is still, why are you telling people this unless you are <laughs> warning them about something that you know that we don't? Yeah. Because New York City would definitely be 
one of the the places that would be targeted. Yeah, I, I imagine a proper ad for that would be just it's a poster and it just says what to do in a case of nuclear war if you're not a cockroach just give up (laughs) (laughs) your end is near it pretty much is it's the same way when you're on a a major commercial air flight and they make such a big deal about it in the Mm. in the event of crashing grab the oxygen mask coming out of the ceiling listen if you're going to crash you're all dead like (laughs) don't worry about the oxygen mask (laughs) (laughs) yeah that mask is not going to protect you from falling I don't know, 30,000 feet of the air in basically just the tube of death at that point with two <laughs> yes. flaming engines. Correct. But it's, it's of no help. <laughs> yeah. When we talk about actions, we have somewhat of a, a positive thinking listener from Siberia. Uh, and he says, we Serbs will help you. Uh, we know that you're telling the truth. And then he added at least 90%. So I think that's a good rate for how, how much people can believe you. 90%, I think, is very up there. I, I think it's it's up there indeed. And I, what I would point out, another thing about this book, and some people, again, will harp on and say, well, what's the takeaway of the book besides uh, it's so dark and it's a prejudgment? Well, I wanted to ask you that. I wanted to ask, what's the overall <laughs> messaging of the book? Is it just notifying people or, or is there a certain call of action? Because I haven't finished it, so I wonder what, what would the conclusion be and if you could uh, expand on that. Sure. I, I think... And, uh, well, let me put it to you this way. While the book certainly is a hopeless book in the sense that there's no way out and mm-hmm. it's very clear, the idea is that it's an opportunity for people who read it to reach out to the Divine Father who created them and, number one, acknowledge his existence. And then, two, I would say to ask the Divine Father how to best align one's will mm-hmm. with his going forward. Because when no one is going to be coming back to this planet. So when people talk about reincarnation or the soul being repurposed and used somewhere else, yes, but you're not coming back here. So just like if you were in high school and you're about to graduate and you probably want to go see the guidance counselor about Mm -hmm. what should I do with my life and my future, you being that you have a soul should be reaching out to the divine father and saying, what is my future? And this idea of aligning your will with his, as opposed to against it is very important because one of the uh, obstructions that people have to understanding some of the information in this book is that human beings tend to look at everything from the point of view of good versus evil. But Mm -hmm. in the King James version of the Bible, uh, the father says that he creates both light and dark, good and evil to suit his purposes for the sake of balance. And Mm -hmm. the meaning behind that is that there are beings who are dark in nature, who, as long as their will is aligned with that of the father, it's fine. It's part of balance. You can't have light without dark. Of course. The issue issue is when you have beings, either light or dark, whose will is not in alignment with the father, who are either working directly against him or otherwise going Mm willy-nilly, which cause problems. So a good example of a dark being that rebels against the will of the father is, of course, Satanael, who many people know as Satan, but I don't necessarily like to use that word because the word Satan really just means king or ruler, and there are many individuals with that title. Mm -hmm. But in fact, when when people refer to Satan, they're usually referring to Satanael, who is the the individual that is often referred to in the Bible. And this idea is that's very important to understand is that Satan, Lucifer, and the devil are not three names for one being. They're mm-hmm. three different names for three different beings. 
Right, and, right. And that, that's important because modern religion, which all and all the Abrahamic religions were the creations of the Anunnaki for the purpose of division and, and fostering conflict and war, right. they purposely muck things up so that people won't understand what's going on. So when people see the title of the book and see a reference to Lucifera, they say, what is that, another name for Lucifer? No, no. Lucifera was Lucifer's mother. Lucifer was one of her many offspring. Right. And Lucifera is the queen of the reptilian Siakar empire. And she is the being who deserves the most credit for creating life as we know it on this planet. Right. She was the one who pushed this planet out of orbit to turn it from a totally watery planet into a planet that would have land that could be inhabited. Mm -hmm. And she had sent her son as one of the re-engineers to create what then became the, the human race. The human race she, yeah. cre she created the Great Pyramids in Egypt, but when these various groups rebelled, they were patriarchal, mostly in nature, and they didn't like the idea of the reptilian Siakar empire because it's matriarchal in nature. The females are dominant. And this is as a result of biology, not due to a social construct because mm -hmm. they thought it was cool. The females are just dominant over the males. Doesn't mean the males are, are, are weak per se, or in the, you, you can't look at it through the lens of a human lens. Human lens, yeah. Look, right. It's just that the females, warrior class and above, they mm -hmm. spew venom. So you're not going to, like on this planet, the males dominate the females because the males are physically stronger. Mm -hmm. Well, in, in the reptilian Siakar empire, the females of a certain class and above, they right. spew venom. So they can, like a spitting cobra, they don't even have to bite you. And this makes them dominant. dominant Whereas right. the Anunnaki Wolfen Empire, they are extremely patriarchal and view women as being of no value except breeding. Mm -hmm. So when they, of course, took over this planet, they did everything they could, they could to delete this, uh, the memory or the history of Lucifer from this planet right. and just act like everything's been patriarchal all along. Right. And, uh, so this is one of the reasons why things are confusing. When people read this book, they say, we've never heard of Lucifer. Who is she? Well, the book goes into great detail explaining exactly who she is, right. and why she's so important in the history of this planet. So I, I think that to go back to the original point, human beings, they need to reach out to the divine father, say, yeah. how can I align my will with yours? And what should I be doing going forward so that I have a future? Mm -hmm. And the other idea is if one is confused as to whether one is light or dark, one can ask the divine father for guidance in that regard as well, mm -hmm. because the, the group of people that this book will appeal to the most is actually those who are not only RH negative, but who have been hybridized as well. Because for example, I am someone who is a alien human hybrid and I had been going Your blood is RH, RH negative. RH negative, and yeah. I was hybridized in detail by, oh. in, to a very depth by various alien groups from already when I was in the womb. So there are quite a few individuals like this on the planet, mm -hmm. but a lot of them are not entirely sure what's going on because when one is being hybridized, uh, a lot of the memories are deleted or uh, false screen memories are reinserted. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so that you are not really sure what what happened in the past. And people who have been hybridized are implanted very heavily with technology that is normally not detectable by human technology in order to keep them under control, under surveillance, and to use them at will. So there are a lot of individuals who have been hybridized who, like me, are looking around. They know something's not right. Uh, they don't know exactly who or what they are, and they're they're mm-hmm. looking for a place where they can go. And another reason that the book is called The Last Harvest is because there are various alien groups out there, not only the Siakar Empire, but the Galactic Federation, who are looking for individuals who are hybridized that they can extract before everything falls apart and reintegrate into their particular civilizations. So depending on your hybridization, you may or may not be salvageable. And if you are salvageable, the question is, well, which civilization will want you because they believe that you will fit best into their civilization right so in my case i had been the way that i ended up working with lucy and mars as i had been following various paths throughout my my life trying to figure out who and what i was and one day my guides for lack of a better word they guided me to him mm-hmm. and i spoke with him and he had the answers to basically all of the questions, including the ones I didn't ask. And everything he said to me made everything that went through the course of my life that I had experienced, uh, everything fell into place. So at that point, um, I knew what I needed to do. And so Mm -hmm. if one reaches out to the Divine Father and one is hybridized, uh, one certainly shouldn't be surprised if opportunities present themselves Or it's almost like an offer is made to you. Okay, well, this is who you are. Would you like to go into this direction? Because in the end, you have free will as to what you want to do or not want to do. You can accept an opportunity or reject it. You can do nothing, which many people will do. They will just put their heads in the sand and that's their free will too. But as I said earlier, there are consequences to everything. Right. Um, it's, it's very... There is a sense of hope here, after all. On some level, there is. On some level, yeah, there is. But I want to bring it back a little bit to the book itself. Certainly. Yeah. So in the book, uh, you and uh, the author, and I I, I imagine, uh, first, before I ask this question, are are just the two of you who worked on this, or there are more people involved uh, Lucian Mars is the sole author of this book. I simply worked in an editorial right. layout and then a publisher loving... capacity. Mm-hmm. And I, I engage in the uh, the marketing of this book now that I've published it. But Lucian Mars was the sole author of it. Okay. So in this book, uh, Lucian puts a very intricate combination of uh, actors that are basically puppeteering the world. And it's so many... There's so many, like I said, so many actors. I just wanted to know how did he connect all of these dots? Was there a moment that uh, he had noticed something and sort of it clicked? Or was it more of a gradual process of uh, finding something? And when researching that thing, you find another thing and it just keeps the, the it keeps like the wheel running. I think the, the shortest and most digestible answer to that question is that Lucian Mars had access to a uh a crystal computer that stored data when i say computer it's more like a hard drive but it's Mm -hmm. a crystal holographic uh hard drive that contained a lot of history 
of the galaxy on it. And he was capable of accessing this and decoding a lot of it and incorporating it into uh, a nomenclature that people would have an easy time digesting. Right. And for those who find this a little strange, one should realize that all the information prior to this book, The Last Harvest, that covered the reptilian Siakar Empire, and it's usually discussed in other writings under its older names, which would be the Orion and the Aryan Empire. All that information that is in books like Len Caston's books and uh, and the, the similar are actually drawn from a sole source. And that source was a downed alien pilot who is not reptilian, who had crashed his UFO on a Native American reservation some years back. He survived. And the Native Americans who sort of, I guess you could say, nursed him back to health, mm -hmm. he shared with them information that was on a similar computer drive that he had in his craft. And some of that information, which made it into the mainstream, has been regurgitated over and over right. in a lot of these books. And the problem with a lot of that information is that it was corrupted or very limited uh, and was sort of used to paint a picture of the reptilian Siakar empire, which is far from accurate. So Lucian Mars had access to a similar resource and he pulled a lot of the information in the book mm -hmm. from there. Okay. So uh, you, we're going to take another question here from a listener from India. Sure. Yeah. And uh, he asks you, uh, he says, you are telling us about, uh, the verdict or verdict legends, uh, in you know today's form. Uh, he, he, I think his question is, what is the biggest secret and highest point of our current knowledge about this? Can I'm not entirely, well, I'm not sure what he means by what is the biggest secret. Uh, I think he means more of what is the thing that most people are oblivious to, but is. Uh, but it's very oh. crucial, making it a big, big secret. Okay, I guess with respect to the Vedic traditions, mm -hmm. it is important to note that many of these goddesses and gods that are discussed in the Vedic tradition mm -hmm. are, in fact, not only extraterrestrials, but a lot of them are reptilian or hybridized reptilian in origin. So some of them are very ancient. They're a no one even knows exactly all the DNA components involved, but the base of many of these beings is reptilian at the minimum. Mm -hmm. And they are here on this planet. And one thing that the, the Indian Vedic tradition did was it, it tended to sanitize a lot of these goddesses. And when I say sanitize, I don't mean that they were dirty. What I mean is that <laughs> they, they beings that are rather, how should I say, uh, let's say, uh, warlike in nature, where mm -hmm. um, repainted in a way that would be more, let's say, light side oriented. Mm -hmm. And that's not exactly the most most accurate. I won't necessarily give any examples, but although I could, but I, I believe that well, okay, I'll give a simple example. So <laughs> I was and, going, and, I was going I, to beg people want an example. So <laughs> yeah, there, there's an there's there are some goddesses that are depicted depicted in in iconography with uh, severed heads and stepping on corpses mm -hmm. and 
So the, the Buddhists and the, the Vedic uh, tradition that predated Buddhism, they tend to look at these pictures and say, oh, uh, well, his is an example of uh, cutting through illusions. And this is a symbol for cutting through the ego and illusions and overcoming the yeah. karma. And no, these <laughs> beings are depicted that way because that's the nature of the being. They <laughs> right. are going to war and, and slaughtering. And yeah, so yeah, and stepping over is, corpses and yes. basically taking a picture from millions of years ago. It's not that... It doesn't that, go deeper than what it looks like. Right. That was right. the Instagram picture of the time. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like it's like if you see someone shooting another person with a gun, I think he's talking more about anger and uh, suppressed uh, wrath. But it's <laughs> no, it's, it's just a video of someone committing a crime. It doesn't go beyond that. Right. I can oh, yeah. give you one more quick example. There is Please. a picture a lot of times in, in Vedic and Buddhist iconography, mm -hmm. and it looks like a being with the head of a lion, and he has a human on his lap, and he's ripping out his guts and eating it. So this is a very popular image, and, right. and people will, will say this is an image of so-and-so, and it means da-da-da. Yeah. put it in actually, their living room. That is literally an image of a wolf in Anunnaki, because they are <laughs> right. cannibals. And they eat people alive. They eat each other alive. They don't need rations when they go into combat because they eat the enemy. They eat their own dead. Right. So th this is what they're known for. And they're rather terrifying. So someone at that time had seen them, encountered it, mm -hmm. drew a photo, drew a picture of it. <laughs> and then modern humans say, oh, this must be a metaphor for something. Not <laughs> believing that these beings actually were running around and the beings right. still exist. They're out there. As a matter of fact, this, the uh, planet Nibiru, which is not a planet, but rather a sort of battle star. If you remember Star Wars, the Death Star, it's something right. like that. That is an Anunnaki warcraft, and it is actually in the area right now, but you can't see it because it's cloaked. And they're also right. watching the planet and saying, hmm, what should we do here? So there's a lot of alien groups out there looking. <laughs> I, I, I was going to go back to the point where we talked about uh, the multiple alien groups. And I guess one would be sort of like a humorous question. And the other question is uh, rather serious. So I'm going to start with a serious one. And it is, uh, do you think these aliens would, uh, they have interest in our planet, but they are different. So do you think they're like having sort of some sort of a war at the time that we can't see? Or are they going through some form of diplomacy trying to split the pie between themselves or what do you think is happening between them there there are there are two vastly different vectors that are competing right now mm -hmm. and none of them will end well so i talked earlier about this idea of ai so and then i talked earlier about the idea of these various depopulation vectors independently right. of the ai so of course we have a lot of different alien groups sitting around and we're no threat to them, but they're a threat to each other. Mm -hmm. And it's a, a, a bit of a Mexican standoff and no one's yeah. sure who's going to fire the first shot. They all want the planet. No one's, <laughs> they're all hemming and hawing. Right. But now there's a new problem and the problem is AI. And the problem with AI to put it as simple as possible, because we're only have maybe 10 minutes left or 15 right. minutes left mm -hmm. is that once AI reaches a critical point, it becomes so powerful and it will look at human beings and it will wipe them out. It will take their genetic material, repurpose it for something else. Right. So once AI does that, that might be fine and dandy from the perspective of the elite. But mm -hmm. the bigger problem is that AI won't stop at that. AI will immediately become 
spacefaring and attempt to regentrify, <laughs> for lack of a better way to say it, the rest of the universe. Of and there isn't a single alien group that would tolerate this. They will never allow it to happen. So now it's at a point where the moment that AI gets to that level where it becomes a real irrefutable threat, mm -hmm. this planet will be destroyed by one or multiple of these alien groups because you can't get rid of AI yeah. by dropping nukes or starving it out because it's not living in the it's normal living, biological right. sense. Yeah. You, you'd you have, have to, to kill the source, like the very, very source. Yes, the planet just must be completely it. turned into nothing. Yeah, and And this is the final nail in the coffin, not only for humans, but for the planet, as well as the Nebu Gray and the reptilian rebels who are on this planet, because they'll go with it. The, all the beings who live inside the hollow earth, if they can't get off of it in time, they yeah. will be killed as well, because this is something that would never be allowed. And, mm -hmm. and as, a, as another note on it, it's something the Divine Father would never allow, because it's an affront to his creation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's seems like nobody wants ai to progress more at the moment no except except the humans who continuously yeah, continuously it's, right. it's it's just going to be i mean so, like even some humans we're seeing uh they're afraid for their jobs and stuff like that and you know the futile efforts are being made to uh, regulate AI and uh, put it sort of in a box where we can control it, but it doesn't seem like we're going to succeed at doing that any anytime soon, uh, at least not before it destroys us all. So, well, I mean, there's not much to say about that here. So Right, and it, it's important to point out that the reason why human beings continuously push for AI besides the obvious uh, lure of money or getting mm -hmm. a competitive advantage over another nation is that they are alien groups out there who influence humans to keep pushing in that pushing direction, that be direction right. because they have an interest in creating an AI which would challenge the father's creation because as I said earlier they are dark entities who are their will is not in alignment with the father but they're in rebellion against him mm -hmm. so human beings are simply being used in that respect as they usually are right right so I'm going to jump to uh, uh, my last question myself, well, like I said, it's kind of, uh, a humorous one to, uh, and then we're going to do another question from the chat, uh, the live chat, and we're going to end it. So my question is, you said, you mentioned that your RH, uh, you have your blood type is Irish negative. And yes. you said that many aliens, many different groups of these aliens are interested in that type of, uh, blood and that type of, uh, genetics. Yes. So. Right. If it was up to you and there was sort of like a draft, uh, who would you hope that, uh, which group would you hope that they would pick you? Who like would have the best outcome? Oh, I, I already made my choice. Oh, there so, you go. Yeah. So, <laughs> Are you going to share it with us? <laughs> yeah, I, I am. I am part of the reptilian CSR empire and I serve Lucifera. Okay. Yeah. The, the, the origin of creation. Well, yeah, creation on on this planet, but, right? As yeah, far as, as far as humans go, right? Right, yeah. And uh, how can I sign up for this? I would like to join. <laughs> you seem to know more about this than I do, so I'm just gonna take your word for it and join <laughs> Lucifera. If you can <laughs> well, send me a link or something, <laughs> a form I can I, fill up. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 
I think if if one had proclivities in that direction, the the best way to go about it would, like I said earlier, would be to reach out to the Divine Father mm -hmm. and right. and say that you are you feel the most affinity to Lucifer and her Siakar mm -hmm. empire. And that's where you would want to be. And she is the being who you'd want to serve and, right. and, and, and ask him what his feedback on, on that would be, whether in my case, being that I am a reptilian human hybrid mm -hmm. uh, and I am dark natured, that is what was presented to me as, as, uh, as, as the best as, choice as an option. And then mm -hmm. I, I, I definitely, I, it, it resonated with me and uh yeah yeah, yeah i'm so. sure i'm sure it did so the last question we're gonna take one from uh listener from vienna he, he asked uh if uh lucian is planning to write something like a part two to the last harvest or maybe we should expect something more before uh no we we, we pack our baggage and <laughs> leave no everything everything that needed to be said has been said in that book and all right I, I i make it my business to do as many podcasts as possible i put a lot of money into marketing this book it's this book is not uh, no i do not expect to make any profit on this book whatsoever right it yeah. doesn't matter the mission is to get this book out there mm -hmm. and and that's all that matters so i will do endless right. podcasts and it's how hard was it from like a publishing standpoint to i mean it's the book is very controversial and it's very uh, it's not everyone's cup of tea let's let's yes. just put it that way so i i imagine when you're trying to publish something that is uh truthful or not simply just truthful but sort of like outside a certain agenda that's being presented and you're trying to publish a book outside of that agenda and if anything it argues uh against it or try to tries to expose it so i imagine the the, the publishing of that book would be a nightmare so how, how did you like navigate through publishing such a such a controversial book well i i nowadays many books are self-published and it's very mm -hmm. easy to start your own publishing company and to learn the, 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 the steps required. The book industry is, an, is suffering very much due to technology. Mm -hmm. And so if the main idea here is that you, when you write a book, as we started out this interview with, you want it to be the highest quality possible mm -hmm. where if right. someone picks it up in physical form, they're like, wow, this is one professional book. Right. And if you have that, then it doesn't really matter if it's self-published, if you created the publishing company or if another publishing company took it on, yeah. it's very easy to get it into all the distribution channels. And if right. you have mon money to do marketing, there's nothing to stop you from right. going right. out there and, and making it as big as any other book. Do you think you so, can advertise on like, like Facebook and these yeah, other- Yeah, I, ha I have been running ads on, on Facebook. Yeah, And, and Mark and, didn't uh, mind? Forms. <laughs> he's, he's a I, I, before i even knew about all of these like lizard things and stuff like that i yeah. looked at mark and i was like that guy does not look right to me and then somebody no, says i think he's a lizard and i was like yep yeah i believe that <laughs> I yeah he, he, he's some some sort of hybrid and there, there are lots of individuals out there uh i could say elon musk uh, greta thunberg they're 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 hybrids that's and they're right. serving and they're serving an agenda and the agenda is not in your best interest mm-hmm <laughs> yeah I, I don't imagine it is i don't imagine it is <laughs> no <laughs> well i i don't wanna uh i i'm pretty sure you're uh you have you're busy from now on i think you have another uh scheduled uh meeting yes, or podcast. I, 
Right. I, yeah. I do, but I'm I'm more than welcome to, or I should say I I, I would be very thrilled to uh, come back on if you want yeah. me. Uh, if, you said if... it right the first time. You're more than welcome to come back here. We can talk more. And I really <laughs> love the, our conversation. And I'm uh, very fascinated. By the time we do another interview, hopefully I will have finished the book and we can uh, discuss some more points and uh, get into uh, get deeper into more of. I think yes. I feel like we touched like the surface today. We kind of mm -hmm. established uh, some some. Uh, we established some level ground that we can build upon uh, from now on. On uh, hopefully many times to come that we can talk to to each other. Oh, I, I would love it, and and I mm -hmm. always appreciate audience questions because that's how people get clarity. And, right. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and I'll try I, to I collect more questions. From any, I don't shy away from any questions. Mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> I, I, yeah. I've, I've, I've heard your interviews and I've, I've done one with you now. And I, I, I appreciate and I respect how you don't really uh, run away from a question. And sometimes you give more information. And sometimes even when that doubt, like uh, what happened with the example, we wasn't sure if we want to give an example, but, your your uh, integrity sort of pushed you to give an example and be more clear because you believe in this message and you want to put it out there. And I respect that very much. Thank you. All right. Well, that brings about the end of our episode. Uh, like we've said, hopefully we'll do more of these. And uh, if there's anything you want to say at the end of this to the world or to the listeners, uh, please go ahead. And uh, thank you again for coming on our podcast. My pleasure. I, I think I would say in conclusion that um, this book, The Last Harvest, it's available on Amazon. It's available on Barnes and Noble. We have it not only in, in, in digital form, but we have an incredible audio book that is I, I hired an amazing narrator who doesn't read an abridged version of the book. He right. reads the actual book word for word. Mm -hmm. And it's important because this book is not a prophecy. It's yeah. a plan. It's carved in stone for all to see. Right. And it involves genocide of 90% of the population of the world commencing mm -hmm. in 2025. And this is something that I believe human beings are just would it would not be in their best interest to ignore this information because right. this book contains information that has never been revealed anywhere else before. It's not a recycling of other conspiracies. No, this is all new information that will yeah. answer it is many very questions fresh and very original. that you didn't even know you had. So right. go out yeah. there and yeah. get the book. Sometimes you read, I read something and I was like, I didn't even know about this. And now I do. I want to read more. I want to know more about uh, what is happening because no mm -hmm. matter how much you think you know about what's going on, I promise you this book will offer you another new thing. I promise you that. And this is coming from a guy who read basically the first third. Right. All right. Well, thank you very much for coming on and uh, we'll see you on the next time. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you. Good day to you. Goodbye. Bye. Paranormal Radio, exploring the boundaries of reality. Venturing Beyond with Paranormal Podcast.